0: Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Avi Havivi's weekly Sidur class. We're up to the psalm for Thursday, okay, and that is on, which is also Psalm 81, means more payalif, so that's on page 89 in the Slim Shalom, page 30 in the Sim. And, um, Psalm for Thursday. And, uh, as just to look ahead, by the way, we'll do the Psalm for Thursday. Then we'll do the Psalm for Friday. Then we'll talk about Kaddish and Mourner's Kaddish. And then we'll be done with Shachrid. And then, um, we might try to sh- shake it up and do something different instead of returning back to Birchot HaShachar for the, I think it would be the fourth time. Um, and really, and I actually think from, pretty early in Brichoda Shahar on is all archived. Uh it all got recorded and it's all archived. So I think that's another reason to not just repeat the cycle um, because for people who are interested in that, uh you can find it at the Bethnam website. So we'll try to do something different. So but that's a little ways out, a few weeks out. So Psalm for Thursday. We have, we start out with a couple of, as we do in some of these Psalms, we have a superscription that we don't exactly know what it means. Menatseach is commonly translated as conductor. That's actually, I think, what it is in, in, um, modern Israeli. Uh, al-hagitit, which could either mean on an instrument called a gitit or according to the melody of al-hagitit, no one knows. La Asaf presumably means it's by uh the house of Asaf. Asaf was one of the Levite houses, right? The Levites did the singing in the ancient temple, the Beit HaMikdash. Maybe they did the composing also. That would be a reasonable inference. And if you remember, when else did we see Asaf? Hint, it should be extremely fresh in your mind. Wednesday. No, fresher. Tuesday. Tuesday. We just did it. Mizmurla Asaf. It's the okay. Tuesday psalm. And if you take a look at the Tuesday psalm, that's actually Psalm 82. So there is a small sequence of psalms by Asaf in the Book of Tehillim. just the same way there are some other um, um, psalms in the Book of Tilim that have the name of an author. Okay? So, again, what does this mean about the theory that they are King David – uh, wrote the whole book of Leem. I don't know. You could look at the traditional commentators for that. Okay, but this is a superscription. It's not part of the body of the poem. So as we get to the Psalm, we'll ask the questions that we always ask. What seems to be the setting? Is there a story here? Is there an internal development within the Psalm, a narrative or a drama? So we'll, we'll keep all those questions in mind. And of course, only at the end will we get to and why did they pick this for Thursday? We can't get to that yet because, you know, we haven't read it yet. Yes, Alan?
1: Yeah. Um, you brought the attention to the, to the, uh, inscription at the beginning of the Psalm. On Tuesday, it's Mizmur La Asaf. Yeah. And here it's Amnatseh Al
0: Hakitit La Asaf. Uh huh. What's the difference between the
1: two? Or just-
0: I don't know. Never thought. Yes, it's different. And I don't know why one is called Mizmur La Asaf. One is not the Mismore. I can't answer that. You know, I mean, I'd like to point out, like, some psalms are called the Mismore. Sometimes it's, yeah, I'm not saying the Mismore, you know. So, different uh, And again, you'd really have to, I think, you know, be catapulted into the world of ancient music live to understand these technical terms. That is my opinion. Okay. Harninu le'elohim uzeinu, hariyu le'elohi yaakov. Uh, so harninu and hariu, although they may be translated differently, are basically, you know, semantic synonyms for make a loud noise joyfully. Something like shout joyfully. Okay? So, um, renana, which literally means shout, uh, sometimes gets to mean something musical, but the point is that it's loud. Okay? So, shout joyfully to God, our Oz, our stronghold, shout joyfully to the God of Jacob. So we had Elohim, who is our stronghold, and then we have Elohe Yaakov. So we have Elohim used in two different ways here. Okay. So sing with joy, shout with gladness, perfectly good enough translation. Um, so someone is instructing presumably some hearers. Hey, it's time to. Praise God. Sing, shout joyfully. Su'uzim hara utnu tof, Kinor na'im imnavel. Raise up the song. Give forth, I don't know, drums. The kinor, the lyre, or something like that. In modern Israeli, it's a violin. But as far as we know, there were no violins back then. So it's some sort of stringed instrument, which is usually understood to be as a lyre. Im um, Navel, and some other stringed instrument. Here we have harp and lyre. Okay, so, by the way, um, just a footnote, we have a whole bunch of things, a whole bunch of psalms, which talk about, and also in the prophets, when they're talking about ritual. It's clear that in the temple in ancient times, there was music. OK, there, because there's lots of mentions of instruments. Um, so there wasn't just singing. There was musical accompaniment with instruments with a band. Right. We have lists of instruments. Um, what's slightly surprising about that? Is there anything slightly surprising about that?
1: Did, did they have music on Shabbat?
0: Well, we don't know anything about that. That would be a secondary question. So what's slightly surprising about that is we have like a whole, I don't know, book and a half of the Chumash that talks about the ritual in Beit HaMikdash. And there is nary a whisper about music or musical instruments. If all you read was the Chumash, you would think... That you would, you would not imagine that there was music in the Beit HaMikdash. We have all these instructions to the Kohanim. Anyone ever think about that? All these instructions mm-hmm. to Kohanim. There's no chanting. There's no singing. There's yeah. no musical instruments. So, um, and when we read Psalms and the prophets, we, we see that, oh, actually, no, seems like musical instruments was an integral part of the worship that went on um, in the Beit Hamitash. Humash? And be a um, Bible scholars are interested in yeah. this. Uh, one hypothesis is that it's the Livyim right. who do the music, whereas the parts of the Humash that focus on the ritual in the temple, what secular Bible scholars call P, right? The P document. Right? Is really much more concerned about what Kohanim do and actually sort of, um, uh, you know, we have narratives of the Levi'im kind of being lesser, right? You know, there are passages say, you know, the Levi'im are given to you, Aharon and your sons as your helper servants. Okay. So the Chumash, what we read about temple ritual tends to emphasize the role of Kohanim, it let's just say, I don't want to say underemphasizes, but doesn't emphasize the role of Levim very much, right? It says the Levim come and they do service in in the temple, but it doesn't actually say that much what they do other than carrying the Mishkan from place to place. It doesn't tell us much about what the Levim day-to-day in the Beit HaMikdash or in the Mishkan, what do Levim actually do? If I asked you that question, it would be hard to answer that on the basis of Chumash. You'd be hard-pressed to find anything. They do service. That's all it says. We don't know what that is. And they're your helpers, Aaron. Um, So we actually see from the prophets and the Psalms that there is a lot of musical stuff, which seems to have been the role of the Levim, and there are all kinds of theories about friction between Kohanim and Levim and how come we don't find it in the Chumash? And, uh, Yisrael Kanol, who is a, um, Israeli Bible scholar, wrote a book called The Sanctuary of Silence. It is his hypothesis that the Kohanim actually officiated in the Beit HaMikdash in silence. And that was part of their ideology of how you do worship, which may have been I hesitate to say in conflict, different than the Levim's ideology of how you do worship. Okay, so one could study a lot more about that in secondary sources. There's nothing really about that in primary sources. Meaning, there's nothing in the Chumash or any other document where anyone says, "And there shouldn't be noisy musical instruments in the Beit Hamikdash." Doesn't say that anywhere. It's just ignored. It's interesting that it's clear. From the post-Chumash sources, that music was a significant part of what went on in the Beit Hamikdash, and it's very interesting that that is totally ignored in the Chumash. So I'm just going to leave that there. We're not going to talk more about it because because you know it's not a an introduction to the Hebrew Bible as history and literature class. So you could find classes like that online. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to know where to find a free one online, you could send me an email, abrahamhavivi at gmail.com, and I'll send you, tell you where to, a link to find a free intro to Bible class online, where surely they discuss issues like that. But there are all kinds of hypotheses about conflicts among Leviim and Kohanim in different eras in ancient Israel's history. But we were going to stick to the Psalm. Okay. So shout joyfully, make music blow the shofar on the chodesh and presumably blow the shofar the verb governs the second half of the sentence also and on the kese for the day of our festival so there is debate about what these some of these words mean chodesh is generally understood to mean rosh chodesh um, Pause parenthetical statement, just parenthetical statement. We associate the blowing of the shofar with Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, but it's clear if you read the Chumash and other sources that the shofar was blown frequently in the Beit HaMikdash as part of the sacrificial service. It was not limited to Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, okay? There's shofar blowing because it was a trumpet blast, okay? And there were trumpet blasts over all kinds of sacrifices. Um. So, um, it could mean, blow the shofar at the Rosh Chodesh sacrifice. It could mean, blow the shofar. Some of the commentators do say it means Rosh Hashanah. Okay? So, blow the shofar on the Chodesh, which probably doesn't mean the month or all month long. Probably, it seems to be the festival of the Chodesh and on the kesse on the day of our festival so commentate no one knows what kesse means hold on a moment please michael no one knows what kesse means uh it's it's a rare word um and the commentators divide into two camps um one of them says looking at uh, expecting a parallel that it is parallel to rosh chodesh and they say it comes from the word lichasot to cover and it's on the new moon when you don't necessarily see the moon, so the moon is covered. So Kessa is a synonym for Chodesh. Other people, other commentators say, no, Kessa is the day when the moon is covered with white. Therefore, Kessa means when is that? Full moon. Full moon. The middle of the month, which would make sense because the Chag, whether you consider the Chag to be Sukkot, right? Again, Chag is Hajj. It means pilgrimage festival. So blow the shofar on the Keseh, the day of our pilgrimage festival. Whether that refers to Sukkot, which would be logical, because if we're in Tishrei with Rosh Hashanah, with Chodesh and shofar blowing, that would make sense. Or it could also mean Pesach, because we're going to see that certain things later on in the psalm could link it to Pesach. So it means on the day of our festival. So either this means blow the shofar on the first day of the month, which might be Rosh Hashanah, and repeating it parallel what would be called um, um uh synonymous parallelism, which means I said the same thing in different ways twice, okay? Uh and on the Kesed, the day when the moon is covered, meaning the first of the month, for our festival, which might mean Rosh Hashanah, okay? Or Blow the shofar on the first day of the month. Most people, most scholars do agree that Chodesh means first day of the month, both traditional and, 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 uh, traditional commentators and modern scholars. Or it could mean, it could be, uh, what's the, not synonymous, what's the opposite of, what's the, uh, I don't know if it's called antonymous parallelism. I might have made that up, right? Parallelism where you say opposites, right? Blow the shofar on the first of the month, the Chodesh, and also on the Chag in the middle of the month, right? We blow right at the beginning of the month and at the pilgrimage festival in the middle of the month, regardless of whether we're talking referring to Sukkot or Pesach, okay? So it fits with the make music, and now it's kind of more specific about um, this shouting, rejoicing, music making, and now we have shofar blowing. Okay, Michael, I held off your question. Go ahead.
1: Yes. The uh the the only possibility I can think of where chodesh may mean an entire month is if it's referring to Alul.
0: Okay. Uh oh, because you'd blow the shofar. We, nice. Yeah. Okay, Michael made a Drash. Okay? Uh-huh. Nice, nice, probably not the pshat, but nice Drash, right? Blow the <laughs> shofar all month long. The Chodesh. Right. Um uh, and and by the way, there are places in the Chumash where Chodesh might mean Month and not new month, right? I mean, and, and I'm thinking in the Psalms, the Chodesh is called, sometimes called Yom HaChodesh, right? Um there's a Haftarah, it's about, um Elisha and the Shunammite woman, uh, she has a magical birth, I guess we read it probably, it was, uh, the Haftarah for Vayera, I guess, probably when Yitzhak is born, uh, Old woman, amazing miraculous birth, and then the baby dies of sunstroke, and the woman is going to go to the prophet. And she saddles up the donkey, she gets her, her na'ar, her servant saddle up the donkey, and the husband says, why are you going to see the holy man? Today is lo chodesh velo shabbat. That's what the husband says. Like, oh, why are you going to do a religious thing? Visit the holy man. It's not Apparently, in that context, it's not Rosh Chodesh or Shabbat, meaning on a random Tuesday, one would not go visit the holy man. But one might go visit the holy man Mm -hmm. on the Chodesh or on the Shabbat, which is interesting, of course, because in later halacha, it would be forbidden to saddle up your donkey to go visit the holy man on Shabbat. Okay. Um So that there also, it's just called the Chodesh, and it clearly means in context Rosh Chodesh as a festival. Okay, let's leave it. Um, And here, this next verse, um, some commentators, so it's clear that the psalm divides in two, I I don't want to say in half because they're not equal halves, and this pasuk that we're about to do, could refer to the above or it could refer to the below. So scholars kind of debate if this belongs to the f- first part conceptually that we've just read or the next part, which we're going to read. Okay. Um, for it is a decree ordained for Israel, a statute for the God of Jacob. So if this goes with the first part of the Psalm, what does that mean in context Two. Shout joyfully, rejoice, blow the shofar on Rosh Chodesh, and on the Chag, the festival, that is something, that is a, uh, halacha, right? As it were, we would call it. It's a, it's a rule. That's the practice, okay? So chok, chok can mean a law or statute. Sometimes it means a portion, which is, uh, someone's portion, uh, which is why it might be connected to the second part of the psalm, okay? So this can be seen as kind of a hinge, maybe, or it's just the end of the first part of the psalm, okay? So shout, make music, blow the shofar, right? Um, the inference is that this would be in the temple, although it doesn't say that explicitly, okay? Like, where would people be playing musical instruments uh, to praise God? You know, it could be in a Diaspora synagogue in, on Friday night in the year 2023. So it could refer to that. Okay. But probably in the context of the Psalms, it probably refers to the Beit HaMikdash where we assume, you know, well, we don't, we don't really have data that this sort of thing took place outside of the Beit HaMikdash on a regular basis, the singing joyfully and the musical instruments and the praising God and all that stuff. Okay. So that's the first part of the psalm. I'm going to pause just to see ask if there are any questions or comments. Okay. Uh, yeah, Marshall. Yeah, Avi. Um,
1: just going back for one second. I, I like Robert Alter's interesting translation
0: uh-huh. of the the prior of uh, verse four. Blast the ram's horn on the new moon. Yeah. When the moon starts to wax. Okay. So that's good. And then this element of- By the color. way, when the moon starts to wax, which is not clear exactly what that means, right? Uh-huh. Because technically that would not be on the first month. I mean, hard to say that that's the first of the month. Uh-huh. You know, most people on the first of the month who see a sliver wouldn't say, oh look, the moon is starting to wax. Uh-huh. Although I guess that's technically true. But I, mm-hmm. yes, I, I think it's a, I think it's actually an interesting, but perhaps slightly avoidant translation okay noncommittal and the second is yep. that his translation of Chokumishpat, I, th- I think it's nice here for it is an ordinance in israel yeah a rule of the god of jacob so you have your parallelism there okay ordinance rule okay <coughs> here we have what ordinance uh, we have law and judgment by the way um i want to point out we we started and ended this section with lelo hayakov but it the la in hey Yaakov, seems to mean something different, right? So, Hariyu hey Yaakov clearly seems to mean shout to the God of Jacob, meaning praise God, okay? Whereas Mishpat hey Yaakov seems to mean a law of the God of Jacob, right? Like, who made this rule that we're supposed to sing and and blow the shofar. It's a rule that comes from God, not, it's not a mishpat. The, the beginning was we shout to God, right? So it clearly seems to mean that, but in the repetition of it, we don't make a mishpat to God, right? We don't make a judgment to God. It's God who imposes the judgment on us, meaning it is a rule given to us by God. I think. Right. So the the poet did a nifty thing, which I actually never noticed until now, which is the poet said, Lelo Hey Yaakov twice, which sounds like the same thing. But it sort of means conceptually the opposite. Right. We shouted to God, but God gave us the ordinance to do this. It's God who commands us that it's Rosh Chodesh or it's the Chag. Everyone follow what I'm saying? And here, so technically, le hey, the second time means of. It is the mishpat of the God of Jacob, right? But what I'm arguing is that that's what it means technically, but conceptually, it's actually the opposite. It's reciprocal. We gave something to God, shouting, singing, because God gave something to us, the rule that this is the Chodesh and the Chag, okay? It's a mishpat that we got from God. Everyone with me on that? Alan.
1: Yeah. Um. one final thing about this Chodesh This is the kiddush for the day of Rosh Hashanah. Correct. It came.
0: Correct. Yes. Day, right. Day. Um, yes. The Midrash understands this to be, uh, uh, you know, the simple understanding is when would be the Rosh Chodesh? When we would bl- blow the shofar? The obvious answer from for the standpoint of rabbinic Judaism. Right. Because, again, the shofar was blown like every day in the Beit HaMikdash in ancient times when the Beit HaMikdash stood. But for us, for later generations, for rabbinic Judaism, what would be the Rosh Chodesh that we would associate with the shofar would obviously be Rosh Hashanah. Right. So um so sort of straightforward Midrash interpretation, understand this to refer to Rosh Hashanah. And that's why, as Alan correctly points out, this is the line of Kiddush in the morning on the daytime Kiddush um, on Rosh Hashanah. Thank you, Alan. Terry. Avi, are you aware of other
1: parallelisms
0: like this where um, Yisrael and Yaakov are used? Oh, yeah, um, um, they're like this? A zillion times. I mean, be, because it's a zillion times, I can't think of one. Okay. okay. But that would be extremely common.
1: All right, and 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 when we
0: see so, that... pardon me, and that's just because it's poetry, and yeah. it's bad poetry to just use the same word over and over again. So there's Yisrael, there's occasionally Yishurun, another epithet for Israel, there's Beit Yaakov. So the and and um because the classical commentators, the classical Jew, Jewish commentators. Do not believe that any word is accidental. They would say, Oh, the variation may have a meaning to it rather than just like, Oh, the poet just used two synonyms for literary reasons. They never say the classic commentators. Oh, it's just for literary reasons. So what, and, and that's what I was getting at. What, what, what are the classic commentators say, saying when we see these two? So you'd have to look at every instance. However, the one that does come to mind which is noteworthy uh is in parsha yitro coming up in a few weeks right before before the giving of the 10 commandments or right after i'd have to look i think before uh god says to moshe ko tomar Yaakov, yakov israel speak thus to beit Yaakov. The house of Jacob and say to Bnei Israel, the people of Israel. Now, if you were a, I think if you were just a modern secular Bible reader, you just say, ah, 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 means the same thing. Yeah, it's just yeah, kind yeah. of poetic-y. Okay. Uh, the traditional, anyone know what the traditional interpretation of that is? Yeah. Beit Yaakov is for the women and Bnei Israel is for the men. Correct. Gold star for Alan. And therefore, when Sara Shaneerer, uh, in, I think, Krakow, founded a school and a group of schools to teach girls in particular. By the way, it's, it's been, the, I think it was the 100th anniversary and that's the only reason I know this. What were those schools called? Beit Yakov. Beit No, they were not called Beit Yakov. <laughs> they, they were Yaakov. called Beit Yakov. Right. Yeah. Okay. And, and I, the only reason I know anything about this is because it was, I believe, last year, the 100th anniversary. So there are all kinds of articles and lectures and things. And we think of like base Yakov as being like, you know, I don't know how you think of base Yakov, but you know, from, 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 you know, keep them sheltered. But actually base Yakov in its time was uh, radical. How many people knew that? Raise your hand. Okay. It's radical. So it was rep, ra- because what happened was, School became more, I don't know if it became more expected or it might have actually been compulsory by law. I don't exactly know. Boys went to yeshiva because there were, there was school for boys always, you know, cheder, right? Whereas girls went to, anyone know where they went? Public school where they learned things like Polish and German and poetry and history and that was all of a sudden deemed to be dangerous to the traditional Jewish community. Our Medelach are going to these government run schools where they um learn things that might lure them to secular culture. Okay? So the base so Sarah Shanira founded a school and a chain of schools To keep Jewish girls within the fold because there were no schools for girls, right? Heder was for boys, right? So boys went to yeshiva, which I guess the government recognized as school. I don't know the specifics of that. And I think was this the Polish government? I think it was the Polish government. Um, and so she founded an alternative, which was to keep girls within the fold so that they would not be exposed. Uh you know not all that different from you know a hundred years later, where some people say like ooh, you don't want to send your kids to public school because they're going to get exposed to you know x, y and z all right um so it was to keep Jewish Malah within the fold, and that is why she fold she founded the base Yako schools, so Terry, as Alan correctly cites, that is the traditional interpretation. Among the Mafarshim, I can't tell you which Parshan said it first. I don't know if it's the, in the Midrash or medieval. Have to look it up. Um on, uh, Kotomar Lebet Yaakov, the Tagelif Neisrael. No, no, no. It's not just literary. It's very intentional, right? The Torah was given, uh, unlike certain other things in the Chumash in terms of where it was publicly done. The, the Torah was publicly delivered to the end, or at least the Ten Commandments to the entire nation, right? Moshe is told to gather everyone, and Deuteronomy repeats this. Everyone heard God's word, right? The important stuff. Everyone here is gathered together, men, women, and children. Koto marla beit Yaakov. Tell the women v'takeleiv Neisrael, and tell the men, because of course, although everyone gets a revelation, the, the revelation I believe in. Hazal's imagination, there was separate seating at that revelation.
1: <laughs>
0: so it wasn't just like you tell, tell them all men, women, and children, but you know, address it to the women and address it to the men. And that is why it's called Beis Yaakov. Um, now Terry, you, you, one could look. That's the famous one because it's in the Humash. So, you know, it's sort of that's commonly known. You'd have to look at every instance of it and look at the classical commentators to see what they make of that. So like, what do they make of that here? I don't know the answer to that. So I would basically, should I want to do that, which I'm not sure I would want to do, I would use the concordatia to... You could, yeah, except if you wanted to know each one, you could go to Mm. Safaria, Mm. find it, click and highlight the verse, and then immediately to the right of it, It will list commentaries and people who've mentioned this verse in a, in a sheet that they designed for teaching and people who mentioned this verse in an online Dvar Torah. Okay. Um, and of course, some of those, some of those commentaries are only in Hebrew, but some of them are also in English and most of the internet stuff is in English. So you could see what people have, but again, I think you would need to look on a case by case basis. To, um, I, I, I don't believe that commentators would say, like, oh, Beit Yaakov always means the women. Right. Or, but if I wanted to find out where it appears, I'd probably... You prefer, could look, in a, you could look in a concordance, the, yeah. Concord, and then go to Safaria. Okay, that's yep. very helpful. Yep. Um, by the way, last thing I want to say about Beit Yaakov and B'nai Israel, and then we'll stop, is um, the... It's, it refers to the women and the men. It's not arbitrary, right? The midrash is usually not arbitrary. There's always a hook. The hook is, Alan, do you want to finish it? What's the hook? How do they know which is the women and which is the men? Um, kotomar le beit yaakov vitzgade le Israel
1: Yeah. It's always the women that are going to be first. Nope. That first, but B'nai would be children of, if they're going to make the difference... But what does B'nai really masculine? mean?
0: What does it really mean?
1: B'nai would be masculine. I make Why? Because it woman, doesn't mean...
0: Of. Right, because literally it doesn't really mean children of. I mean, if you're exacting of it, sons it means of, yeah. sons of. Okay? Sons. So B'nai Israel, there's a parallelism. The Midrash is looking at it and saying, ah, can't Right, the Midrash, again, the Midrash does not believe that parallelism is just literary. There's a reason. Ah, B'nai Yisrael is the banim, that is the sons, that is the men. Therefore, Beit Yaakov must mean the women. Okay? So it's not just, uh, there's two things, this is the women and this is the men, right? Uh, cause if it was two things, and it was men and women, you'd kind of normally expect, given the patriarchal bias of the Chumash, Right and Chazal, that would that would be the men. Oh, by the way, and also this time, even also the women. The reason it's out of that order is because it's Bnei Yisrael who is the men. Therefore, ergo, who must be Beit Yaakov? Who's not included in Banim? Ah, that must be the women. Yeah, that's, that's how the midrash works.
1: Back here. to to an old time phrase which we would not say today, but that a woman's place is in the home. In the Correct.
0: House. Beit right you you made an an extra midrash on the midrash right the women are in the home you got to get them out here cuz there's going to be the 10 commandments and everyone has to hear it ladies everyone drop what you're doing in the kitchen and come on out immediately right that that that's it. and on that note okay on that very retro note we will <sighs> conclude today we did the first part of the psalm not the first half but the conceptual first half and tomorrow, uh next week, God willing, we will do, we have a lot of it, but we'll try to get through it all. We will do the conceptual second half of the song. Okay? Wow. Everyone there, try to stay dry, stay away from COVID, have a good day, be Torah.